Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Sam Phelan. He is our basketball writer at Vandy Sports. So without further delay, let's get right to our interview with Sam. Sam Phelan joins us. He covers basketball for us at VandySports.com. Sam, hope you're well, my friend. Yeah, Chris, it's been a uh, it's been a roller coaster here for uh, maybe the last week or so, but uh, finally starting to settle back in. So yeah, I'm doing all right. Can't complain. Well, it's been a roller coaster for Vanderbilt too. It's been kind of ugly lately offensively for sure. What do you see going on there? Oh, well, it's been a storm. It's been frustrating basketball, really, to say the least. You're not going to win games not shooting the basketball well. And, and, I mean, we've established already, Chris, this team is going to live and die with how they shoot the basketball, particularly from the perimeter. Um, And just recently, it hasn't been falling. I think a lot of the frustration recently, too, has just been their lack of interior presence has, has really been noticeable. Um, and they've gotten exploited against a couple teams that they probably could have or should have beaten um, just because they haven't been able to defend the paint, and they've really had no interior presence offensively uh, without Rodney and without Liam. Um, that was something I thought Rodney brought to the table when he came back and really helped their offense be a little bit more dynamic, but without him out there, um, it's kind of the Pippen show, and, and when like we see against Florida when – when he's not having it, it's just not going right now. Yeah, and I think I might have said this on another pod, or or maybe I didn't, but I look at them, and not to necessarily make excuses, but you have to acknowledge this, right? I think that they have we're, we're, holes right where those guys contribute, because on offense, they need a guy who can steady them without turning it over and, and certainly be a disruptive defender on the other end, Rodney Chapman can do that. And with Robbins, I mean, the post issues right now just speak for themselves on both ends of the floor. And, and obviously he filled that need to a T. Yeah. I, you can't, you, you can't understate that or, or undersell that at all. It, it really is unfortunate. Um, and it's something that you could just tell from the start of the season that, that Stackhouse has been really disappointed in, I think, because, it, also, Chris, these are two of his veteran leaders. Um, I know, you know, Jordan and, and and Scotty have been there for the longest, but you know, Liam's a grad student. Like Rod- Rodney, spent he's been all around college basketball. These are some of the guys that you really rely on for stability when you get into some of these games where um, you're playing really good, strong teams that are probably a little bit better than you to keep their composure and keep doing it. And like you said, it's just in every way that they kind of get beat during basketball games that's the ways in which those two guys contribute you could afford to maybe lose a few other uh players but yeah the the losses of, of chapman and robbins you can really feel them sam we've got a ton of questions in the mailbag and i think enough that they hit the topics that we talk about anyway so let's go there if you're cool with that yeah let's get right to it 
Our mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call, 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Okay, there's a little inside joke here. Not a joke, really, but uh, Sam can explain. Bex4VU wants to know, what kind of new car do you have your eye on? Oh man, uh, you know we got. I, I think I'm gonna go for something a little bigger this time. We got to see if, uh, well, what what the check from the insurance is looking like. But yeah, I, I've driven the sedan for a while now. Um, yeah, I I got to see. Maybe you know I'm down here in Tennessee. I'm in the South now. I might have to get a truck or a a nice Jeep or something like that. See if I can get something with a little bit more size to it. Yeah, once you go SUV, and trust me on this, because I drove sedans for a long time, you will not go back. You can see everything better. You're better protected in an accident. There you go. That's that's my friendly advice to you. Well, I'll look at that then. I'll do that. I'm I'm SUV all the way unless uh you know unless I get some sort of a steal on a nice sedan. Yeah, did not know how much. I would like one until I got one. The one I'm driving right now is 15 years old. But you can't tell because I've taken care of it. But um, that, that that just shows you if you get one and you like it, you really like it. Yeah. All right. Okay. HD Young 3 says, without Rod, excuse me, without Robbins and Chapman, is this team overachieving, underachieving, or where we would expect given the current talent available? Oh, that's a, that's an awesome question. Um, I think they're, they're probably right where I thought they'd be. Um, you know, you really didn't know coming into the year where, uh, really what you had in Robinson Chapman, you know, you liked the idea of them. You had heard a lot of good things about them and obviously stack talked them up all off season, talked them up all preseason and stuff. And really, you wanted to see their impact, but it was hard to, to kind of quantify that without seeing them on the court with this group of guys. But just in terms of, of these players, this is kind of what I, what I thought we, we'd have. You know, Jordan Wright has taken marginal steps forward, although he has been wildly inconsistent and at times a, a detriment offensively. But Miles Studi's gotten a lot better just offensively and actually made some defensive plays. Um, Quentin Malore Brown, I've been really impressed with just how much he's tried to battle and tried to hang in there against some bigger, more athletic bigs. Um, but it, it really is, you know, you know, Scotty can take over a game, you know, they can get hot and they can shoot the three. And when that's the case, you're going to be able to play competitive basketball games. But um, I, I think they're, you can't say they're underachieving because the way that they play basketball has just been so different from years past um obviously you know removing the florida game from kind of the the grand scheme of things they've played competitive with a lot of teams and won a lot of games that they wouldn't have in in years past and i i don't think you can you can necessarily look that over just because uh things have kind of been on on the downslope recently i don't think you could say they're underachieving uh by any stretch i think that you know, the ta- the issue for them has always been talent. I think you can blame Jerry for that. Uh, you can also acknowledge the bad luck, which we have acknowledged. But I think for what they have, I don't think they should have won that Arkansas game, but they did. Shouldn't have won the BYU game, but they did. Probably shouldn't have lost to Temple, but they did. So there's one that you take back. And, you know, maybe you could give them South Carolina at home. So I would say they are 
they're even or, or maybe a percentage point or two above, but I don't think you could – I don't know that there's a case that they have underachieved given what they have. Yeah, and like it's even to me, Chris, it's in the games that they haven't necessarily lost, but the games that they've been you know, right there in. They played Tennessee like down to the last minute. And they started Drew Weikert in that game. You know, I think if you told anybody that coming into the season, that sounds like an overachieving type of game. Now, you know, you have to take it for what it's worth. They lost the game and a loss is a loss. But I do think with the the talent available, and like you said, you can blame Stack for the talent available and the guys that are, are on this roster. But with the talent available from what we've seen of them, I don't necessarily expect them to be to be much better than they are right now okay this next one from jdi cav what do you see as the primary factors for and impediments to success as we look to the back half of the conference schedule yeah i mean it it really has to come down to to the little things of basketball like we've been talking about whether that's post protection um, and, and turnovers. I'm just looking at that Florida game, even that first half of the game when Vanderbilt was hanging with Florida without Scottie Pippen Jr. on the floor. It was, it was really impressive, but it, it was also really frustrating to watch because it felt like they were doing all this work, doing all the things the right way to succeed and get back into the game. And then they'd give up a three pointer, have a lazy turnover, give up another basket. And next thing you know, they were down six, seven points again. That felt like all the work was for nothing. So it, it really just comes down to being, being clean on the offensive end. If you're taking good shots and you're missing good shots, which we all know they're capable of missing wide open shots, but if you're doing that, you can live with that. But I think they will tend to succeed um, if, if they really limit the turnovers on offense and, and if they're uh, strong in the paint. They, they've gotten dominated on the boards way too often uh, over the last few games. And you just can't win many basketball games giving the other team two, three opportunities each time down the floor, especially when you're not at the peak offensively for your team. Um, I, maybe it's just me, but I've always kind of felt like Every time is a must-score possession for Vanderbilt because it feels like other teams are getting so many chances and, and shots going down are so few and far between on the other end. Bex4VU asks, what player on the team do you think has the best basketball IQ? And he notes, motivating this question is my belief that as a team, they're short on this precious commodity. Well, I think it's Rodney Chapman, and I. I, think I do too. That was reasons. my. That would be yeah. my answer. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that you feel Chapman his loss, and and he doesn't. I tried to like put this into words when he first came back, but he, you don't quantify the value of a guy like Rodney Chapman. You can't really put a number or a value of like points or plus minus on something like that. He has this this. IQ, this presence um, that I think brings everybody up and makes everybody better. That's how they always define, you know, the NBA players uh, based on their legacy. Well, does he make his teammates better? And I believe Rodney does. I think he's a good passer. Like you said earlier, Chris, he just has a good defensive motor and understands passing lanes and cutting and, and how to set up good shots. He, he sees the game a little bit differently than most collegiate players at this level. Um, so I think without him, they lack that level of leader, that their offense looks lost a lot of the times. And 
I think Scotty is really growing in, in this trait. He he's done better in recent games, kind of the back half of the season so far of of understanding how to get to the free throw line, how to control his body, and having the the IQ on the offensive end of the floor. Um, but I, I do think without Rodney, they feel a little bit more lost and unorganized. Door King asks a really good one. Why has Pippen regressed with his free throw shooting and perhaps even in turnovers this year? Well, I would say that's not a perhaps in turnovers. He has. Uh, assist to turnover ratio has gone down quite a bit. Yeah, it's not been his best basketball of late, Sam. No, yeah, and I, I think – you know, Stack would tell you that. I think Scotty would tell you that too. Uh, there's just something about the mental aspect of the game right now where he might be uh, might be pressing a little bit. And you know, when you see the the type of player that Pippen is, where we know he can score, we know he can get to the foul line, we know he can pass. But when you are are such a good playmaker and shot creator, and you're setting your teammates up for open looks time after time, you're seeing it miss. You get games like. That, that he's been saying all season where he's like, well, I took extra shots today because nobody else was making any shots. That was, you know, almost a, a direct quote from after the Kentucky game after I asked him a similar question. There, there's a level of Scotty getting, I think, maybe a little bit frustrated with the idea of he's got two, three bodies on him at all times, and he can't rely on anybody else to knock down the open shot if he does give the ball up. Uh, so I think he tries to dance around a little bit. He tries to uh, get to the foul line and, and force contact all the time, but in turn gets himself into a little bit of pressure and a little bit of trouble too often. I would not have guessed this. I'm looking at his Ken Palm profile. His turnover rate, first year, 20.8%, 19.6% last year, 185 this year. So he's actually turning the ball over less, although it doesn't seem like it. His assist rate is the issue, 25.2% first year, 36.9% last year, 25.1% this year. So basically he was, he's almost the same player as he was as a freshman. The assist rate is almost exactly the same. Of course, they had Saban Lee to help off the ball then, and, and um, you know they don't now. They don't have much of anybody to help. I guess you could count Trey Thomas, but I don't know how much – help he is some nights in that regard. But it's weird to look at these percentages. I would not have guessed his turnover rate had gone down. And maybe it's just a case of being what he is, which is a marked man, one. And two, he's a guy that, because he is a marked man, we're paying attention a lot. So we, we see the flaws more up close than we would have you know, a year or two ago. But I think that – I don't know if it's carelessness or just lack of teammates – being able to help him in terms of scoring and being a threat, but it, it just doesn't look like the same guy that it looked when he was really rolling a year ago. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. 
So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. Yeah, there. I mean, there there is a thing of that confidence, and I like what you said on, on just noticing it more. Uh, his usage rate is just off the charts. He always has the ball in his hands. It, like, when he's on the floor, he is the offense, especially – you know, without Rodney and the games that they play without him, they really rely on Scotty to do it all. And they, they give him the ball. And I think, you know, as fans, we, we sit back and we can watch the game and you get frustrated with some of the, some of the play, but you know, Pippen's supposed to be the guy that, that you can trust and with the ball in his hands. And he's supposed to be the guy making shots and, and keeping the team together. So I think anytime uh, he were to make a mistake or turn the ball over or is just not playing his best basketball, it, it's a little bit more noticeable um, than maybe it is for some other players. This next question, also a really good one. Ann Arbor Door asks, I didn't see all the Florida game, but it looked like we may have played better with Scottie Pippen Jr. out of the game than in it. If you agree, why is this? Is it a case of when he's in, everybody expects him to make a play versus sharing the scoring load? That, to me, is the question that I've had a really hard time answering because there have been times this year where they looked better without him in the game. And in fact, they won a game, if you want to go back a year ago, they beat Ole Miss when he didn't play at all. No, I don't think for a second they're a better player without him because I, I just I think he's a good player, but... The Florida game was really an interesting study in, you know, he sits on the bench, what, the last 15 minutes of the first half and then comes in the second half and plays more, and they score 14 points. I Maybe it's just a, a small size fluke or what it is, but it was pretty noticeable on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is an interesting question because, you know, you – I, I mean, I noted it after the, the Kentucky game as well. You looked at the, the plus minus for so much of the game and uh, yeah, he was, he had all these points, but he was last on the team in plus minus. And he, it's kind of hard to, to quantify that as well. Like you said, like he is a, he's clearly the best player on the floor for Vanderbilt. And yet it seems like the unit works a lot better with him off the floor I really don't know why that is. Some of, I thought it might be some defensive issues. I do think a lot of it is circumstance, though. I think against Kentucky, it was just the combination of having Ty Ty Washington and Oscar Shibway on the floor when Pippen was out there, and th- those guys kind of coming off uh, any time that he hit the bench with them as well. So I think he always faces the best um, of the other team, and that is part of it. But yeah, the Florida game was an interesting study because, you know, you go into that game trailing by three at halftime without Pippen, you automatically kind of assume that, you know, there's going to be a a forward jump here for the second half. You know, now that Pippen's back on the floor, the offense is supposed to look a lot better, but he just didn't have it and nobody else had it. Um, I think it could be a little bit of what you said, you know, maybe a little bit too reliant on him to score the basketball versus, uh, 
some of the other guys. I know Jordan Wright did a really nice job in that first half, kind of taking charge. Him and Trey Thomas both putting up some good shots and knocking down some good shots when it felt like that switch kind of flicked off in the second half. Vandy Guy 20 asks, if both Scotty and Jordan Wright leave the program after this year, who do you believe will be the leading scorer on next year's team? Man, that's a – oh, man. Next year's team, I think it depends on Stack's philosophy, one, for his recruiting class um, and how much, how much he – how much he's going to let the guys play, you know, different guys have different philosophies of, of freshmen and stuff. I, I think the easiest answer would be to, to expect Miles Studi to take a step forward, a guy with, with his level of size, and, and we know he can shoot. Um, I think if you, if you get, put the ball in his hands and let him take a few more shots a game, his scoring rate could take a significant increase, um, and he could be a legitimate scorer. But I think the dark horse for it for me is Shane Dezoni. I really like the athleticism of Shane Dezoni. People forget how highly touted of a prospect he was coming out of high school. And I think if you were to see a guy like Pippen leave the program and, and you would see some minutes opening up in that backcourt, uh, Dezoni is a guy who could not only step in and get those minutes because he has the body to play good defense, but he also has the athleticism where if he was uh, – Working on his skills a little bit, worked on a consistent outside shot, he could be a dangerous asset for Jerry Stackhouse. I'm going to take a little issue with the question. I don't know why Jordan Wright would leave. I, I don't know where Jordan Wright would get a better opportunity. Um, so maybe under that circumstance, he's their leading scorer. Although my guess is, even if that were to come true, and, and, and Pippen, I just think, it makes sense for him to leave, either find a, an NCAA tournament contender or, or just go play pro ball, whatever that looks like. I have a feeling whoever that is under that circumstance is not on the team and and maybe a, a transfer playing out there somewhere that we don't even know about yet. I just have to think if those guys are yeah. gone, you, you've got to hit that hard and find that guy because I just don't think he's on the team under those circumstances unless – Oh, you know, maybe it's Noah Shelby um, with the ball in his hands a bunch. I mean, somebody's got to lead you in scoring, right? But I think at that point right. they'd have to recognize we don't have our score. We better go find him. Yeah, I mean, I I like what you said about the transfer portal too. I do think in that situation, like, it, we, I mean, that's the thing about college basketball now. The transfer portal is so volatile that at any minute, anybody from a Division One program can uh, – jump ship and they can be on Vanderbilt's roster ready to go and suit up for, for basketball. And uh, because of that, I think kind of trying to predict, you know, who might be a big scoring, like that's just so unpredictable. Uh, and I think you could look at a ton of teams across the country and look and say, Oh wow, they have a leading scorer who came in the transfer portal or kind of came on unexpectedly to their program. So yeah, Noah Shelby's not a bad bet though. If you're going for the new recruiting class, because, uh, from what we've seen, Stack likes a, a you know, scoring dominant guard, and uh, he could be a little uh, Pippen prototype. Well, I think if Pippen's gone, you make a really aggressive approach with that, and you find a couple guys and you say, hey, look, since I've been here, we had Aaron Neesmith doing great things until he got hurt, and he turned himself into a first-round draft pick and left a year or two earlier than everybody thought because of that. You know, then you had Saban Lee on that team who made himself into an NBA player too. 
You had Pippen, who was good enough last year, where he made himself into the preseason player of the year. I think if you're Jerry Stackhouse, you don't want that situation, but if you get it, it falls right into your wheelhouse in terms of what you've done here. I think you don't have a lot of wins and losses to sell, or a lot. you have a lot of losses, maybe not a lot of wins, but you do have that, and I, I think that's going to be appealing to the right person. Yeah, I mean, somebody is going to always be interested in opportunity for, you know, more, more time or more opportunity with the ball in their hands. You know, for a lot of these kids, the, the end goal is to be uh, a professional someday. And, it, you know, if you're playing at any Division One program in the country right now and you are looking at an opportunity to potentially be a starting point guard on an SEC program and, you know, have the guarantee from Jerry Stackhouse that you'll be able to score the basketball a lot because of his offensive style. That's something that's hard to pass up. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't want to answer it because I do think it would be in that scenario, either someone in the transfer portal or uh, just somebody really unexpected because uh, like you said, Jordan Wright leaving would be rather, you know, something would have to happen where he he would have a feel like he has a better opportunity somewhere else in the in the portal, but um, I think those are probably the safest options. Okay, tell me if I've asked you this question. I've, I think there's about ten on here, and I feel like I've asked it or I've, I've checked it off, but I don't remember asking it. Mister Vandy wants to know if Robbins and Chapman do return. Do you think there's enough time to see what they can do, uh, given what they might have done had he been with them all season? You haven't asked it. Um, do I think there's enough time? I, I think my follow-up would be for what? Um, and as far as a, a postseason tournament is concerned, you're really starting to hit just the point of, of you know, how much, how much more could they possibly do? Because, you know, it's not just losses at this point in the season. You know, you get some bad losses on the schedule. That hurts you with the committee. Uh, so they have an uphill battle ahead of them. They really need to start turning it around sooner rather than later to have a fighting chance at that. Uh, but if it's just enough time to see what you could have had, I yeah, absolutely. You know, if if the timetables are, are correct on a guy like like Liam or whatever, you have him back in early February. You still have you know ten games or so of your SEC schedule that you could see play out against some good teams. You know, the the hope. I think everybody in the program would agree is that, you know, by the time you're playing Auburn on the road, by the time you're playing Tennessee on the road, by the time you're hosting Florida again, and and Colin Castleton might be back for that game. The hope is to have Liam in for those games. And I think how they perform with him against those top programs late in the year will be a huge indicator of, you know, maybe whether or not this vision of Jerry Stackhouse is working or whether or not it can work going forward. I'm going to dive into that question a little bit because th- there was one flaw with the question, and it was, do you think there's enough time left? Well, we we don't know when that presumes they plug in. So I'm just going to create a scenario here, uh, and it's based on who they're playing. Okay, South Carolina and Georgia. Carolina's on the road. Georgia's at home. They could win both those by playing well without them. And they'll obviously, they would be better with him. I'm guessing – they're not going to have either one for either of those games. So now, if you if you lose them both, then your season's done, probably. Other than just playing it out to see how it would have gone, you need at least split those. If not, go two and zero. Kentucky, they're not going to beat Kentucky and Lexington 
whether it's Robbins and Chapman playing or me and you playing. I don't think it's going to make a difference. But then it gets more interesting. Let's say hypothetically, you have them both ready come Saturday, Saturday, February the 5th. That's when LSU is here. LSU's had some injury issues of its own, although I think they'll be healthier by then. But it's in here. You get those guys. Let's say that they're closer to full speed. You never know. Then Missouri at home, game they should win. Tennessee on the road, going to be tough. Who knows? They played them close here if you get those guys healthy. Auburn on the road, not going to win no matter what. Then you get A&M at home, winnable. Alabama at home, winnable given the way Alabama doesn't defend. Mississippi State on the road, tough. They're up and down. Then you said Florida at home. You talked about that. Ole Miss on the road. Ole Miss isn't playing well last game of the year. Probably depends on how you – you know, how you're feeling going into that game. Now, I I think that is a very optimistic scenario I've thrown out there, but the point is a lot of it depends on when. Uh, And I I think if you say start of the month or February the 5th, that that to me is the one where it gets interesting just because of what's ahead. Although that's a tough schedule. You've got probable NCAA tournament teams in LSU, Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama, and maybe Mississippi State, Florida, and A&M, depending on how it goes. Those you, you, those three teams are right in a pack where I just don't know where it's going to go for them. But the, the problem with that is you could conceivably be looking to schedule at that point or out of, what is it, nine games, you, you've got seven against NCAA tournament teams if those teams all play to their potential. So um, I, I think that would be really telling in that scenario – because you'd have Vanderbilt at full strength playing the really good teams in this league. And I think that's how you tell whether you're good or not. Yeah. And I I think that I think the importance like stretch of that schedule too, is what you mentioned in late February. You know, if there's, there's a few winnable games, there's a few games you can already chalk it up and assume they're not going to win, but like assuming you were to have Liam and Rodney back, the stretch that they would absolutely have to capitalize on. Basically, you, I think they would have to win four of their last five. That's A&M yeah. at home, Alabama at home, on the road at Mississippi State, then hosting Florida and at Ole Miss. I think if you win four of those five, there could be a scenario that they are, you know, right at maybe a little bit above 500 in the SEC, and you have a chance to do some damage in – the tournament. So I think there is enough time theoretically, uh, but just looking at the remaining schedule, kind of what I was getting at, it's just a, it's an uphill climb and, and, you know, every game that they're not back or every game that Vanderbilt drops that they could win with them, uh, that hurts. And I think that's been the biggest thing over the last few games is Chris, you mentioned all these games that, you know, like, Vanderbilt could potentially win against teams that it would might be a toss up. But if you flip that South Carolina game at home, or you flip that uh, Tennessee game at home, those are some big, big wins. Uh, And they probably win those games if they have Robbins and and Chapman healthy. Well, I I don't think their tournament scenario is, is better than 5%. uh, And and maybe not even with them at this point, because, well, I, I take that back maybe a little bit, they're in, I think, what, 82 in the net or somewhere around there. They have banked wins right. 
against BYU and Arkansas, uh, both away from home. That helps. And so let's say you go down the stretch, you beat, I don't know, let, let's say you get two out of three against A&M, Alabama, and State on the road, those first two home. You get Florida here, maybe that's a win against a tournament team. Uh, let's say you get LSU or Tennessee, um, either LSU here or Tennessee on the road. Then all of a sudden you've got some wins that the committee can take a look at. Here's going to be the issue, I think. Um it's going to be SEC record because they're two and four right now. You got to get the next two. Then you get to four and four. Yeah. Then you hit that stretch. You're going to be four and five after you go to Kentucky. But you LSU coming home, you got a chance to hit 500. And then if you start doing good work and beating some teams, then the committee can say, hey, wait a minute. Look at the way these guys played when they had their full complement of guys. Um, that, right. that's your scenario. I think that is a, I think that's an incredibly narrow needle to thread, but if you play the season out a thousand times, it, it's not going to happen zero times. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing too, I think their issue is going to be, they're going to have to jump some teams. Like the, yeah. Thursday, it's that, it's that old issue. You know, you see it in baseball all the time. It's like, oh, we're, we're two games out of the wild card, but there's, five teams in between you and, and that two game stretch here. Like you're going to have to jump SC. You're going to have to jump Florida. You're going to have to jump maybe even like Arkansas, somebody like that in order to be right at that, like back end of the sec teams that are getting bids. And you're looking at two teams that beat you in Florida and SC and a team that is scorching hot right now in the Razorbacks and, and has the, you know, the recent success to, to give reason that they could succeed in March more than Vanderbilt could. So I think that that's also going to be tough. You know, you have to have convincing wins against South Carolina or Florida if you want a chance of, you know, leapfrogging them in the standings. I think your path, you probably have to get to 500 in the league. And let's let's try to create a path how they can do it here, Okay. Beat South Carolina and Georgia. I think best path to 500 includes that, right? Yep. And that you're at four and four going into February. Okay. Let's let's put them at four and four after that. Let's say they're not going to get Kentucky or Auburn. That puts you four and six, meaning you can only lose three more. Um, okay. Missouri at home, that's five. A&M at home, that would be six. Alabama at home, that would be seven. Florida at home, that would be eight. Ole Miss on the road, that would be nine. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I feel good about some of those. Uh, you know, say A and M at home is not going to be a. No, I, I don't. I don't feel good about them running that gauntlet, even healthy. But but if you're going to do it, that's that that's where you've got to set your bar of expectations. If you're going yeah, to do yeah, that, I mean, you have to take care of you have to take care of business against Missouri, like we said, Georgia and South Carolina. You have to take care of business against Ole Miss. You probably have to beat Florida the last game, and then you're going to have to steal a game or two. You know, if you if you can pull out, you know, a win in Knoxville or something like that, that will go a long way. Uh, but yeah, they're going to have to beat a couple teams that they are not and win a couple games they're not favored in. This last question, this comes from Harley Hog 44. During timeouts, do the players seem engaged with the coaches 
Coming out of the halftime, not ready to play is on the staff. What may have changed since the BYU game looks like a hangover from SMU, not ready for the physical play. Now, the uh, the timeline there doesn't line up. I don't know if, if he inadvertently put that in because they beat SMU, or excuse me, they lost to SMU on December 4th, and the BYU game was was three weeks later, December the 23rd. Um, now, that, I guess where he's what he's getting at, there was maybe a hangover um, and I, I don't know. Maybe they just got beat. Um, because after SMU, they lose to Temple at home and Loyola Chicago at home. Loyola was just a better team. Temple won; they should have won. Um. Anyway, I've, I've I've rambled enough. I'll let you tackle that if you can even remember what I asked, <laughs> given how long well, I've well, talked. I mean, I'm not sure it's a question I'm able to answer. To be honest with you, I, I mean, I would love as much as much as probably every other writer doing SEC or Vanderbilt work to to be a fly on the wall in that locker room uh you know after the game and stuff and, and just kind of seeing where that morale is or to see it but I'm unfortunately Chris I'm kind of uh I mean you know this good and well I'm about as far from the huddle during a timeout as it as it can get uh in memorial when when that goes down so that's kind of a tough question um I do think there is something that is something there a little bit you know that they've played enough games where they should not look that maybe it's just the coaching thing too. Maybe it's, it's getting into that locker room and the other team is out adjusting them and out coaching them and uh, making those, the necessary changes to succeed. But yeah, there is something to the fact that they have come out of halftime in a lot of games and, and not look like the same team or gotten a lot of momentum. And as soon as that timeout comes out, you know, like like the question says, they've gotten they've gotten beat off a few of that, but uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a buying in issue. Well, I hate to even do this, but if if you want to break stuff down, I don't know if this sidesteps the question. You, you go back to the South Carolina game. Um, they needed more out of Scottie Pippen than they got. You remember the last possession? He turns it over seven times that game. They lose by two. Um, Kentucky, they played horrible. They weren't going to win that anyway. Uh, the Tennessee game, they they just didn't close it well. Didn't didn't have leadership. The Florida game, I don't know if that was a you know a hangover from the Tennessee game. And you could say again, they're without players. Florida's without Colin Castleton and answered the bell, um, or, or at least enough to win big. I I don't know if that's on the coaches, but. That's a lot of instances where you didn't get enough from your star player. And I hate to keep putting him in the crosshairs. I don't mean it personally. I like Scotty. think he's a good player. But when you are the guy on a team like this that is bereft of talent, that's where the focus is going to fall. And fair or not, they haven't gotten what they needed out of him in those scenarios. Yeah, I I agree. I I think I have a little bit of a disagreement with what you said, though. I think a lot of that is on coaching, and I think a lot of that is what good coaches do. You you need to have your players prepared for these scenarios in which they're, you know, hey guys, if we're tied with Tennessee with, with a minute to go, we need to have a few plays. We need to know how to practice like winners. Um, and I think. There can that is a fair criticism of Jerry Stackhouse uh, that you can take away from some of these games. Chris, I would even reference the Arkansas game as an example of, you know, they won 
they did everything in their power to lose that game. They were missing free throws. They were turning the ball over. It was a edge of your seat, grinding your teeth out type of win that they won because of a mile duty block and a missed wide open three at the buzzer uh, that would have just broken the hearts of everybody. But even in those games, I don't feel like they've really played a polished finish to a game so far this year. Um, and I, I think there's elements of both to it. You know, you get in those situations, the star players should take, you should hit that next gear. There should be a fourth quarter mode. There should be, you know, I'm the star. I'm going to take over. I'm going to lead our guys to victory here. Um, but I think that that's on the coaching as well, um, especially at the collegiate level. Just, you know, a lot of these guys are 18, 19, 20 years old, and you need to have a leader. And sometimes that's the coach who gets these guys ready for battle and, um, you know, puts them in the best positions to succeed down the stretch. Okay, I think I'm able to connect the dots because you you hear my hesitation in putting this all on Scotty, okay? Um, there yeah. have been some games where he's not been his best, but we know he's a really good player. There's some things that are aggravating when he doesn't get back on defense, when he's careless with the ball, but there's also a lot asked of him, okay? Here is how I see this, and I watch a lot of SEC basketball. I mean, I've seen everybody in this league play a couple times, and so I know the rosters on every team pretty well, uh, even down to a lot of the role players. I think if you take the surrounding cast, in other words, take, take Pippen's what's left on Vanderbilt and compare that to plugging him with every other team in the league, I think the only situation where, because like if you're saying, okay, Vanderbilt's a 10th place team in this league, that's considering Pippen's on your roster. You take Scotty off the roster, it's them in Georgia. I don't think there's much of an argument. You put Pippen on any other team in this league outside of Georgia, even at Missouri, where they've struggled, they've got Kobe Brown. They've got a couple of guys who were players of the year in mid-major leagues before they came to Missouri. He's got a whole lot more parts around him than he's got on this team. I, I don't yeah. really have – I mean, maybe you could say South Carolina, but Keyshawn Bryant can play. Uh, when he's healthy, Jermaine Cousinard can play. Uh, that, that might be the one where I would – well, I, I wouldn't debate it because I'd take those guys – over over whoever's the number two and three dog on this roster. Yeah, I mean, so if, so if, it, and here's if you would take yeah. the role players over Studi and Wright, then you answer your own question. Yeah, well, and and where where does that go? That that goes on your roster builder, which is the coach. And again, um, but that that's not entirely fair because then if you want to play the what if game, you plug Robbins and Chapman in. Then all of a sudden, okay. I like their roster better than Missouri. I certainly like it better than Georgia. Like it better than South Carolina. Probably like it better than Ole Miss, but I could I could argue. Uh, the Ruffin kid was, what, a, a high four, five-star freshman. He's pretty talented. Um, you know, Matt Morell's come through, who Vandy recruited. But, I mean, you're, you're in that territory where it does change. So I, I can't, you know, I can't go all out and play that game without acknowledging, again, the absence of those two guys. But here's where I'm getting. You, you can blame it all on Pippen all you want, but they had plenty of opportunities as staff to bring in better players the last couple of years outside of those, and they didn't. They're at 
they're they're in the spring. They're settling. Well, I can't really blame Jordan Wright on them because that's when he first came in, and and Wright's helped them. Um, so that's yeah. not a good one. But like that, they could have they could have gone out and recruited hard like the rest of the staffs in the league did, which they didn't do, um, and, and filled in with. You can get a solid four star player to Vanderbilt instead of settling for some of the guys in the spring that they settled for here, some of who are no longer here. So that is a very long-winded answer. But I think in that scenario, yeah, it does fall on the coaches because it's their job to bring in more parts, and they just don't have enough. Yeah, and and just to put a bow on it, Chris, too, like the other thing I think, too, like I even think it's on the coaches being more, more than the roster. You know, you, like, after it happens, you know, it happens once, twice, you know, it could be, all right, guys weren't ready to go. You know, uh, we just got, we got cold going into the locker room, whatever. When it seems like almost every game you're getting beat immediately after the, like at halftime, the other team comes out and all your momentum goes away and they start, they start blowing you out or right after a timeout that they take, you they come out and, close the gap or extend the lead or they're having success after they can talk things over. There's a disconnect there. And there's a trend there of you're getting out coached. You're getting out coached because whatever they're doing and whatever adjustments and plays they're calling and, and ways that they're, you know, personnel they're subbing in and out. That is, it, it, it's a chess move that is beating whatever you're doing or not doing. Um, and there needs to be accountability for that stuff too. I, like you can't blame it all on just not being ready to go or not buying in. Okay, let, let's go a step further, Sam. Let's look at the games they shouldn't have won, but they did win, okay? And that's Arkansas and BYU. Going backwards, when they go to Arkansas, Arkansas hits 18 of 28 from the foul line, which is 64%, not good. 6 of 22 from three-point range, 27%, not good. And on Vanderbilt's end, Trey Thomas gets a heater, goes 5-7 for three, which is atypical for him. They win a game by one point, okay? So you you had a needle there that that you had to thread with some stuff happening, and that happens sometimes in basketball, right? They've they've had nights like in the Tennessee game where, where Tennessee hit an unusual percentage of foul shots to beat them. So you can acknowledge it happens both ways, but you can also say that's how it happened. BYU game, some of the same stuff. Thomas gets on a heater that he hadn't been on all year other than the pit game, I guess it was, which they also win. I guess they won that one going away. Um, So it's, it's kind of an outlier there with performance for him. Um, you know, look at BYU's shooting numbers. They're not horrible. I guess it was just a low-possession game. But, um, you know, and, and Pippen kind of carried them on the stretch of that one, which he hasn't done as much that year. That one looks a little more normal, I guess, um, when you look at the box score. Uh, but the point is you're, you're counting on some things that don't normally happen to, to win those kind of games, I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, the the BYU game was – Scotty scored something like Vanderbilt's final 16 points. Yeah, Scotty went off in that one, right? Best game of the year. Yeah, after the after you cross that 10 minute mark, nobody else uh, nobody else scored down the stretch for them. So that you know, just talking about outliers again, that I think that's an outlier in of itself for for you know if Scotty would 
would take over like he did in the BYU game down the stretch uh, in some of these other games, I think we'd be having a much different conversation. Yeah, they've got to have that happen again. But we are out of questions. I'm out of things to talk. Uh, excuse me to talk about unless you've got something. Uh, not no, Chris, and not really. I mean, it's more of the same stuff. We're all looking for uh, for the return dates. Uh, for for Chapman and obviously Robin Stack has seemed a little bit uh, a little coy recently. You know, things haven't really changed. I think he's he's growing frustrated with the idea of being asked, um, you know, every game when when they're coming back and stuff. So his message to media after the uh, Florida loss was, "I'll let you know when their status changes." Um, so for now, we're just kind of waiting and. Um, I agree with you. You got to get the next two. Um, so we'll see if they can take care of business and keep this season interesting into February. Sam, thanks for joining us. Enjoyed it as always. Absolutely, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.